Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello, and welcome to the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS Energy. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. I'm here today with Aaron Grover. Aaron is a member of the World Economic Forum's Crypto Sustainability Coalition. She's working on developing blockchain applications for impact. Some of this work includes verified carbon credits and supply chain for agriculture. Today, we are going to focus on an area that I have not heard much about, that being eco-credits and small-scale credits for the credit market. So, Aaron, thank you for joining me on the show today. If you would, please share with me and the audience your background and a quick introduction to this space that you're working in. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Um, Pretty much, I have been, um, I, I've worked in international development um, for a decade in my 20s um, between different places like Nepal, Afghanistan, East Timor, Cambodia, and um, took a step back from it after a decade because I didn't feel like it was real sustainability. I saw a lot of misuse of funds and um, yeah, I, I wanted to to find something different. I took a break and then fell into blockchain and digital assets about six years ago. And it it started with uh, digital asset management and funds, but I really fell in love with blockchain technology for its immutability and transparency and hoped that one day I would be able to use that for more impact focused work and investments. So. About three years ago, I realized that people were starting to use blockchain technology uh, for supply chains and especially with farmers and produce. So that's kind of the start of this part of the journey. Um, I know some of the people who have set up the world's very first use cases of blockchain and uh, produce. Uh, one person, uh, Jean-Vierre Levi, set up a, a case study in Haiti that was taking mangoes and bringing them directly to America and cutting out the middlemen in the Dominican Republic. And because of that, farmers were experiencing anywhere between 300 to 600% increase in their revenues just by cutting out the middlemen. Um, and, you know, farmers um, around the world, whether it's India or America, have very high suicide rates because they're always getting the short end of the stick. Uh, we're in a global food crisis and we'll start to see it more and more. Um, it's really important that we take care of our smallholder farmers. Um, and it's not just for food, it's also for carbon because their practices keep the carbon in the ground, which is what we need more than ever right now. Um, so about 18 months ago, I was working with a use case of smallholder farmers 
in India that still to this day has 20,000 farmers using blockchain every day for transparency wow. and um, taking out the middlemen. And they're also um, getting, you know, hundreds of percentages uh, increase in, in their uh, profits. Um, at that time, I realized, well, you've got all this data now that you didn't have before coming from the global south. Um, and, you know, uh, there's got to be a way to accurately read the carbon in the ground and then get these guys in an additional income stream. So, yeah, about for the past year, I, I was like, who's going to buy my farmer's carbon in India? Um, because I like to connect people um, and, and, you know, match investments. But um, I eventually found one company about six months ago called Reseed that has a case study in Brazil where uh, they purchased the smallholder farmer's carbon for 20,000 USD, which instantly doubled her yearly income. Wow. Um, and that, that payout happened within the month. So, um, you know, I, I've been on this journey into uh, carbon credits over the past year. Um, I am. I don't consider self myself to be an expert because I know experts in the carbon industry, but compared to most people, like this is all new to them. So, <clears throat> in that process, I realized, like, wow, there are a bunch of eco credits out there that are publicly traded. Um, there are um, a lot of eco credits. There are about 175 different types of eco credits. And um, some of them are connected to wildlife, uh, biodiversity, uh, forestation, uh, water credits, plastic credits, like for people who are removing uh, plastic from the oceans. Um, there's something called a cook stove credit, which in theory helps to keep more carbon in the ground because you're preventing people from chopping down trees to make their fires to cook mm -hmm. dinner, um, which is still rampant in the global south um so yeah there are all these different types of credits there are biochar credits a lot of them are carbon based but um some of them aren't necessarily uh, uh carbon but like plastic for example removing plastic from the ocean it's a great thing to do um and a lot of um you know companies are interested in this and actually like buying the plastic for recycled plastic but by removing the plastic from the ocean, that is some a solution to help balance out the carbon because we need the oceans for the carbon balance as well. Um, so yeah, um, there are all these different types of credits and um, there are a number of people and companies around the world trying to figure it out right now. And um, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening with the markets. There are a lot of challenges but um, that's my overview. So I could talk more or you could ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. That's a great overview. Thank you for that. And I will ask some more questions. The um, It's very, very inspiring and exciting to hear the way that, that the, I guess the common practice or the way that these small farmers are, are farming, that is a way that they, they're essentially doing something they can also generate a second income just because of their their more 
environmentally friendly farming practices and then connecting that through the use of data. Um, and you gave that introduction on what eco credits are. So I think we're, we're all on the same page. It's essentially some type of credit for doing work that is, that is driving some environmental sustainability initiative or goals is what it sounds like. And feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, and you gave some good examples. What are some specific ones that you're working on? And can you kind of, I guess, walk us through what that looks like? Like with these farmers, you found the farmers. And if I was a middleman, I would connect those farmers to an end seller of their products. But you're cutting out the middleman. So what does that actually look like? Uh, with this case study in Brazil, um, there's a local uh, provider that's helping them to measure the carbon. It's a combination of reading the land and satellite technology that then is locked into blockchain like every six days they can do it. Um, so uh, the satellite technology has taken some time to evolve for actually reading the carbon in the land, but it's uh, getting to a point where it's actually pretty good and um, um, highly accurate. So uh, it's um, also teaching the farmers um, how to upload their information. Um, and it's pretty basic, like they have to go into Google Maps and just do like a kind of polygon outline of their land that then is analyzed by the company Reseed, which you could call the middleman, but they're like, they're a service provider that, you know, these guys wouldn't be able to do it if they didn't have them. Mm -hmm. um, but like the, the biggest challenge, I mean, there, there are a number of challenges right now, but um, really it's, it's creating the market for these credits. Um, and I know because I've been advising Reseed specifically, um, there are a lot of corporations who are interested and they don't necessarily care about the traditional verification organizations, which are Vera and Gold Standard, because they have lost their faith in those organizations. Um, and they, you know, not all corporations are required by regulation at this point to buy Vera or Gold Standard certified. So these guys recede, they're using third party um, verification from um, traditional carbon auditors who usually do the verification for their gold standard. But so yeah, they're getting that third party auditing and they're locking the data into um, blockchain and, and uh, satellite read. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges that I'm seeing um, with these guys, they're great. They give 50% of the profits to the farmer and um, they also uh, give 30% back to community development and the service providers there on the ground to train them. Um, I think this is a whole new world that I see more and more um, companies are trying to figure it out. And, you know, some are going to be, uh, some are going to exploit the farmers for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, 
you know, um, this is something I believe will come up more and more over the years to come. Um, but it's, you know, if you're looking at this potential, if you're like a corporation that wants to buy these credits, it's nice to see on blockchain that yes, these farmers are getting paid what they said they're getting paid. And it's my understanding because I've been working with a lot of kind of veteran carbon experts from the past 20 or 30 years. There was somewhat of an attempt um, in the past to pay smallholder farmers and indigenous tribes for their carbon, like in the rainforest or whatever. And they were promised mm -hmm. to be paid in the future. And a lot of times they never got paid. Um, that's, you know, something that people will have to watch out for with the greenwashing. Um, but, you know, to get a little bit into it more, because um, I see a lot going on. Um, <clears throat> one, uh, the current verification organizations, Vera and Gold Standard, they are so painfully backlogged. Um, and no one's really 100% sure why. There are different theories. But um, with the work that we need to do with cleaning up the planet and uh, balancing out the carbon crisis, um, we can't, we don't have time to wait, um, you know, and it's, um, it's, it's not something that people want to hear. But when I talked to climate scientists, for example, when I was at COP27 in Egypt um, uh, back in November, uh, people are saying we have three to five years to really make a debt in the carbon crisis or else we're in serious trouble. Um, so yeah, these, these kind of, uh, bureaucratic, uh, happenings, um, that one can expect, like we, we just don't have time anymore. Um, at the same time, I also hear, uh, that I, I've had confirmation that like a lot of the big tech players are now working on creating their own carbon verification systems. So don't be surprised to see Google, Amazon, Apple, all coming out with carbon verification um, to solve this uh, bottleneck issue because we've only been relying on two major organizations. Um, and then, you know, what's great about what I'm talking, what I'm referring to uh, with this case study in Brazil is that because the process for verification has been so expensive over over time um like voluntary carbon markets have not been accessible to smallholder farmers and now it can be with this technology um you know in the past it's if you're a wealthy landowner then fine like you can go through the regular guys and get your verification but that's like that could be like half a million to a million dollars to do um so when you have these new innovations and in technology, whether it's for carbon or for tracking plastic, like I have one friend, for example, who has uh, verification of plastic recycling on blockchain now out of Spain, and he started it up really small, and now he's going into Egypt to do a pilot with the Egyptian government um, because they're desperate to figure out their plastics issue. Um, but you know, they, he, he doesn't he doesn't care about traditional verification organizations because of the issues that I told you about. He just sees the need uh, to clean up the planet and he's found a way to do it through plastics. That's a material that companies need. And the Egyptian government is really excited because they want to move quickly, too. Um, so I'm seeing this mix of um, companies that um, they b agree that there's no time to waste and they're setting up 
new forms of verification for these different types of credits. Um, another mm-hmm. another um, uh, credit that will be talked about more and more is called biochar. Are you familiar with biochar? I'm familiar with what it is, but how does that work as far as a credit? I am I am curious. So please give a a quick definition of what biochar is and then how does that actually help help remove carbon? Well, so biochar um, is is done through a burning process and um, it helps to you take biomass, for example, like branches or something that you need to clear off your property if you're a farmer. And there's a there's a burning process that um, can be done, and it it, it uh, can enrich the carbon into the soil again and make healthy soil. Um, so through burning, you're capturing carbon back into the soil, um, and. I think with most most of the carbon credits or any types of eco credits, it's usually measured in a ton, so one credit per ton. Um, I'm not 100% on biochar, but from what I've heard so far, it sounds like it's a ton is the case. Um, but biochar is more than just carbon. It, it helps with regeneration of the soil and the land. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now, biochar is actually worth more as a credit than your regular uh, a biocarbon credits. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm kind of in the weeds with a lot of the world's largest buyers of these credits now, and they're more desperate for biochar credits because they see the value of it will increase more than even carbon over the years to come. And carbon, people are expecting to continuously grow but uh, they think biochar will have more of a value um, because of how it can help to quickly regenerate soil for farming. Um, <clears throat> uh, what I've heard, um, I, I spoke with the head of sustainability um, from the Boston Consulting Group the other day, which has 80,000 consultants around the world. Um, he said that they have a number of um, eco-credit pilots they're running um, to, to to move into that place of being able to have uh, the credits to sell one of these days. Um, And it's in early phases, but they see the value of that. And they have these pilots they've set up all around the world um, to do so. Um, Also, uh, uh, Neom out of Saudi, that smart city they're building, their focus Mm -hmm. is how can we create these different types of credits. Um, and, And I just heard that there's a, um, a collaboration between um, Deloitte and uh, Ernst and Young on uh, mm. re- researching the potential of biochar and what that looks like. Um, so uh, there's quietly a lot of research and effort being done right now from some of the world's biggest players um, for financial institutions um, to, to go beyond just your regular carbon credit. So. It's um, it's it's a good time to start thinking about these things um, if you're in that business. Um, <clears throat> but it's you know again it's like if we're gonna go do um, verification through the the traditional companies, it's gonna take forever. And a lot of the people yeah. who have the capacity to make these credits, the most capacity, 
are these farmers and people with land and um if if we have these bottlenecks and all these um hurdles uh with just the cost of verification like for example um i know of a project um that has uh uh millions of red plus credits and red plus is for uh in uh rainforest to protect rainforest um and they have to pay to get their final sign off on verification they have to pay a million dollars to the un why do they have to pay a million dollars to the un the un's supposed to be here to solve these issues like really guys like it's it just blows my mind with with all the greed even from the ngo space and that's why i left the ngo world because it's just so frustrating they're not doing what they could be doing or what we hope they would do um yeah so yeah it's um it's there's definitely there are new markets that are coming um and there are two sides there's like the companies that have the funding that will go through the traditional methods. And then there are the kind of smaller tech startups, farmers, uh, people who don't have as much money, but now there are all these new um, tech solutions that could help them to create these credits. Um, and and again, the, um, the challenge is um, creating the market where you've got corporations who will buy them, but they, those are there. Like there are, um, just because I, you know, I'm, I'm doing market making for this myself, um, as a business person who wants to help these farmers and you get these beautiful stories and you show the verification and the third party auditing, like these massive corporations are going to love to say, Hey, we've got our credits that are supporting smallholder farmers in Kenya or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting to see if and how the voluntary carbon markets and eco-credit markets um, get regulated over the years. I don't see that coming soon, but it could happen within, you know, five to 10 years that we're going to see way more regulation on how these things play out, which, you know, that's where, you know, we have to be concerned about cutting out uh, these people at the bottom of the pyramid because they, you know, in carbon, like, so we in the West are the biggest polluters, but the people who actually have the most solutions at their fingertips because of what they do, like these farmers, for example, um, they're the ones who hold the keys to actually solving the crisis, but with their manual labor, um, and they're the ones who, uh, uh, are being most affected by climate change, like in Bangladesh and India, for example. So it's, it's um it's a lot to process <laughs> and yeah. it's not necessarily easy to be positive about it all but when i look at projects like reseed with this case study in brazil it gives me hope and while there's still some time in these um, unregulated days they can actually uh you know companies like that can move quickly right now Yeah. Yeah. So let's move into talking more about how one of these farmers would actually get into one of these projects. The the first thing that I'm wondering about is size. Is there a size limit 
for example, a one to five acre farm, or does this need to be a 10 acre farm? What kind of farming, I guess, where, where and how does a, a, what is that size cutoff? And then how does that farm kind of figure out what they've got and how they would get into a market? Yeah, um, I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but I know for like the traditional uh, verification organizations, I think it's like 500, it has to be something around 500 acres at least for them to be wow. considered. And yeah, like uh, Vera never allowed for, for farms to come in under that ballpark of an amount, which yeah, it makes no sense. Because if you're going to have, I mean, if you're going to have something that's bigger, like then you start to go into the world of um, uh, industrialized farming. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's uh, there are a lot of hurdles. Uh, but with this, like with Reseed, for example, and other similar projects that are out there at the moment, I know of another project that um, is uh, monetizing the carbon from coffee. And the founder of this company um, actually was a coffee trader. So it's been easy for him to go to his coffee buyers and say, hey, you want to purchase carbon credits from your own supply chain going back to Ethiopia where he has a pilot where you can now buy our credits. Um, and yeah, they're really excited about that. So um, with the farmers, um, I mean, this is all new and it's like, you know, people like me show up who are in this industry. It's like, I'm trying to put the pieces together because um, there's so many, most of the world's farmers don't even know this is possible. This is new. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's starting to come out more and more. I know there are a couple of um, similar companies in India doing the same thing. Um, and yeah, I mean, if, uh, you know, they're not finding out quick enough because these are early days and like uh, Reseed, for example, is going to scale with a very large uh, farming NGO that works with farmers all around the world. Um, that's how at scale they will be reaching farmers that this is even possible, like over the next one to two years for a start. Okay. And one thing, I, I just looked it up because I was curious, and the average size, according to Google, the average farm size in the U.S. is 445 acres. Mm -hmm. So average flat line wouldn't even qualify, more or less, probably couldn't get into something like Vera or Gold Standard, which is just fascinating because that's going to be, if that's the average size, how many farms are s smaller probably doing something along this regenerative agriculture or or something else that is reducing their carbon footprint that doesn't even qualify to get into one of these markets it's it's kind of mind-boggling the the other aspect we've been talking about blockchain a lot mm -hmm. and as you're pointing out a lot of these farmers this is a completely new market and a new idea for them what kind of learning curve or what kind of of technology hurdles are there mm -hmm. in order to start developing 
not only the credits themselves, but also the the verification for these farmers who say maybe in India or Bangladesh or or sub-Saharan Africa, where maybe you don't have the the connectivity that we do here here in the U.S. Yeah. So that's a really good question. So um, just in my work with supply chain and blockchain over the past couple of years, um, the biggest hurdle is, do you have a smartphone? Um, do you, or do you still have like a first generation phone where you have to like type in the keys, you know, and um, there's no smart screen. Um, so in Kenya, um, over the past year, I was looking at one supply chain project where you know, we would issue um, the access to the blockchain platform for transparency um, through the phone. And in the beginning, when we started that project, um, they were using the old USSD system where you type in the keys um, and like a number pops up, asks you a question and you answer with a key. But over the past year, all of a sudden, a lot of the population in Kenya is starting to have smartphones. Um, in India, for example, most people have access to smartphones. Um, so that transition is now happening and I'm sure uh, guaranteed in a lot of these countries, not everybody has a smartphone. Um, so that's a part of the transition. Um, it is changing, but the other thing is that um, the connectivity is an issue, right? And as I, I consult on a number of projects that um, are either sourcing produce or, you know, clothing made on a, a women's collective in India or Kenya, for example, and I meet companies that they're trying to like source products from these places and they're building technology around it, but they've never been to these places. And they never asked that question, which I'm happy you asked, like, what about connectivity? And I asked that because I've lived in those places. Like I've lived in the village in Nepal, like I've been out there doing this work for a long time. And um, yeah, connectivity is still an issue. Um, it's coming, but it's still very slow. Uh, but um, there is uh, something called a mesh network, if you're familiar with that where um, you can tap, uh, a mesh network is where you take like modems and you can tap into radio waves within the country and you can okay. operate, you can connect to the internet through those radio waves. It's not like you could go watch movies or anything, but you could do basic transactions uh, with a local modem network and um, at least share uh, information um, so, uh, I know, um, there's a company that just focuses on this, um, and it's based on, um, blockchain technology. So it's a, they're decentralized networks and they provide the modems. Um, it's called helium. Um, that's like a leader in that front. So you can go through helium, for example, and set up a mesh network in the village in Kenya they'll tell you, I've, I've spoken with them, they'll tell you the radio frequencies that you can access. Um, and that's a way to enter in the data. And again, it's like, this is all new, like I'm speaking yeah. alien to most of the people in the world right now. Um, but the technology is there. Um, I mean, it's exciting to see what could happen uh, with uh, Elon Musk's Starlink 
for satellite technology. And that's, you know, going to take some time to roll out and you have to have the money and the resources and all that, blah, blah, blah. But um, that <clears throat> that is, this is all changing and un unrolling. Um, Agritech is becoming more and more uh, important uh, in like, Africa and India, for example, there are way more agritech investments. Um, a lot, a lot is happening. India is very hot for that right now. So um, a lot of these issues are starting to be addressed. All right. Yeah, that's exciting. Exciting to hear and and realizing all of the almost that that combination and that collision between tech and agriculture and that's kind of where everything is happening and the new technology and new developments and new applications of that technology to make these opportunities possible it's mm -hmm. all very exciting mm -hmm. one one thought with that there are carbon credit projects mm -hmm. that i'm aware of that are developed purely as that investment opportunity Basically, you develop it because you can then sell the carbon credits. Mm -hmm. But a lot of this is really more sounding like it is an additional way to monetize your already eco-friendly or existing eco-friendly business or business practices. Mm -hmm. I guess with these new eco-credits or, or areas of of some type of conservation do you see anything like a biochar project being developed purely as an investment opportunity or is it really opportunities to continue and encourage um eco-friendly practices mm, the projects that i see coming up are a combination they're always a combination of both if they're really doing the work um, I mean, there's a rush to figure it out, but you have to have uh, a lot of expertise and investment to make it happen. But hmm. what I do see is that some of the world's largest uh, marketplaces for these credits are going out and investing in the non-existing credits. They're doing pre-purchase. Like there are a number of biochar projects I know of where uh, these marketplaces have gone in and said, we're going to, okay, so you're making biochar. We're going to invest in you to go through the verification process and get exclusive rights to your credits when they're verified. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of investment going into that. There is, there is so much, um, investment going into, um, regenerative agriculture right now. I, I totally wasn't aware of it like a year ago, but I now have, uh, two friends who both have regenerative, multiple regenerative funds, two friends, multiple funds, like first friends, wow. um, a part of like three. And then another friend is now launching her second regenerative fund. So, um, I, you know, as someone who's got a foot in the blockchain world, um, it's way easier for me to invest, uh, raise investment for regenerative practices, uh, projects right now than it is for uh, digital assets and blockchain. Yep. Yeah, I'm glad. I wanted to ask this question now that we're back on blockchain. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's all this opportunity coming from smaller players 
And it sounds like everything, if you're not going with one of the incumbent standard verification groups, it sounds like everything's going to be kind of built on a blockchain technology, blockchain network. But one of those first things that come to mind is cryptocurrencies. Mm. And especially right now, I think everybody knows ETX, whether mm -hmm. they actually know what it is, they just hear lots of negative feedback mm -hmm. associated with ETX and the what what seems to be the fall of the crypto industry or this implosion that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. That as the as the preface to this question, how does how does that blockchain relationship impact potential eco credits and their ability to be established and and I guess um, I can't think of the right word, but their ability to be accepted by mainstream companies and mainstream business. Um, yeah, I, I love that question because um, you know I, I deal with it every day, and I'm I'm in I'm still in it because I believe in the technology and what it can do, um, like m helping these farmers to cut out the middlemen and make more profit is amazing. They don't get paid in crypto, by the way. They These farmers in India get paid in the local currency. Um, you don't need a token. Um, you know, like Bitcoin served its purpose and opened up a door to this world of digital currency. And then you have platforms like Ethereum that are currencies, but they also are used to create platforms. They're, they're you know, software languages. Um, Pretty much, uh, uh, there's a lot of education that is happening, but needs to happen more. Um, most people in the mainstream um, still don't understand what blockchain technology is or how it works. Um, and that's a conversation I have on a regular basis um, when talking to new people or potential clients. Um, and um, that will stay no doubt that will stay because you have corporations all around the world uh, who have already been implementing blockchain, like it, Maersk, for example, has been using blockchain. Um, and you've got fashion brands um, like H&M, for example, they're doing some blockchain pilots. Um, the uh, <clears throat> um, De Beers now is fully on blockchain with their supply chain, fully. Wow. Um, so you know, car manufacturers, like blockchain's huge for supply chain and it's huge for identity um, uh, because of its immutability. I couldn't care, someone who's been in the industry now for six years and like have helped people to invest in these things um, through legitimate crypto funds and all that, I could not care less about tokens right now because of how people have abused them and how it's hurt our industry um, and, you know, stop, stop people from wanting to know what blockchain technology is because there's this negative association. Um, it's unfortunate, but it's also good that this is happening to hopefully, um, activate more regulations so that these things don't happen in the future. Um, but when I hear, uh, business owners, uh, guys with startups in the blockchain world who um, 
want to do a a project that could be good and have like a positive impact in the world, but they're like, oh, well, we're going to raise money. So we're going to do it through a token. And I'm like, why are you doing a token? Like if you don't need a token, like crypto is good for cross-border payments where it's, it's difficult. Um, that's been like one of the best use cases. Um, I know personally, I worked in Afghanistan for two years. I had to help my Afghan friend get out of Afghanistan um, once the Taliban invaded last year. And the only way I was able to get him money to buy him and his family their visas to get to a safe place was by sending crypto to Afghanistan because I couldn't send it through the banks. Um, So that's like a that's like a necessity. and you know places like Nigeria, uh, where the currency is is being highly devalued, um, it's actually ser- serving a purpose. Like people are using crypto to buy their groceries, right? Um, same with Venezuela. But when someone comes along and they're like, "Oh, I've got this great idea," blah blah blah, I'm like, "But why the tokens? Like you don't need it. It's just like a gimmick, and it's no longer 2017. We're not going to see bull runs like that again." And all those people who made money in the ICO phase, like they're lucky it happened, but it's bananas that it happened too, because you have like tons of companies that made millions for nothing. And I'm not, for the ones that are still around, like I'm not fully convinced on most of those ICOs that that came out. It was just a money grab because of the excitement about this, this new kind of currency. Um, but I've noticed lately what's, what's funny is I was advising one company. I'm like, you really don't need a token. You just need the blockchain technology. You should just be doing an equity investment. And they wouldn't let go of that idea. Um, I think because someone on the team was thinking it was still 2017 and all of a sudden you launch a token and make millions of dollars. It's not the case anymore. Um, but uh, the second that company let go of the idea of their token, all of a sudden it was much easier to raise investment for them. They're still in, using the blockchain technology for transparency in their business model. But yeah, stepping away from tokens like opened up <laughs> the world to more investors. So um, huh. it, it's it's an interesting time and I really hope that more regulation kicks in soon because I'm really like, I'm really tired of like having to um, explain this and then to watch the industry yeah. get hurt for the people who are doing the real work, like working with farmers and carbon, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So one more high level question, really more of a sales pitch here mm. with, with most people, I'm sure they're aware of carbon credits mm-hmm. and maybe this is their first foray or first hearing of these different eco credits Mm -hmm. so for somebody maybe they're at a large corporation that still hasn't heard about eco credits but they have this new venture group that can invest into something why would why would anybody be looking at the larger array of eco credits as opposed to just focusing on carbon and carbon credits well, um, if <clears throat> if you're paying attention, um, a lot of these credits are worth more than carbon credits right now, and um, their their projected value um, 
like biodiversity credits. Um, there are some experts that think that biodiversity will be um, growing faster than carbon at some point, like, you know, um, and it's not like if you're a new investor, like you can't go in without talking to an expert about these things and it's rare to find, right? Um, but yeah, like uh, right now we have a lot of carbon funds in the world and more carbon funds that are being created and also like a lot of these regeneration funds right now. Um, I'm in touch with a biodiversity fund uh, right now out of Switzerland and um, they've partnered up with the WWF, the World Wildlife mm -hmm. Federation, um, to create this biodiversity fund. They it's their thesis that um, a part of their thesis that there will be way more demand for biodiversity investment within five years and you'll see way more biodiversity funds and biodiversity credits uh, because they see it's going to be worth way more than carbon credits. And if you think about it, car uh, biodiversity is more holistic. It doesn't just um, address one piece of the puzzle where carbon's one piece of the puzzle. Um, so biodiversity is about kind of like harmony and nature and business that address a number of pieces, you know, that go yep. beyond. So, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point that you make there that carbon is just one piece of the puzzle. Whereas mm -hmm. if we can actually solve the puzzle and solve the actual large scale challenge, then we have a, a route towards this holistic harmony, sustainability with the environment, as mm -hmm. opposed to controlling the amount of carbon in the atmosphere, mm -hmm. which is is almost it almost feels like a band aid, and it yes. almost feels like that band aid we need, but it also is just like a a quick fix of like okay, let's take care of carbon, and now let's figure out why all the bees are dying, or let's take care of carbon and then go clean up the oceans, and it it really should be a instead of a step by step we should we if we can let's kind of solve it all together yeah but yeah it's tricky yeah so with that i want to jump and change topics into the final questions mm -hmm. these are the questions that i ask everybody that mm -hmm. first one being what is a favorite book of yours that you would recommend <laughs> um wow <laughs> my one of my favorite books um i mean one i love joseph campbell um so pretty much um the what is it the hero uh it's like the, the hero of many masks or a thousand masks it's it's joseph campbell's um like most popular book but i like that book because he gets into uh, cultural anthropology and mythology and like digs up all these stories from all the old cultures and shows how like you pretty much have the same story being repeated over and over again, like the hero's journey. Oh, that's it. The hero's journey. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a whole formula and, um, it's really the human story that we all go through. Um, but you know, there are different ways to tell it in different cultures and different languages. And actually Joseph Campbell was the one who influenced George Lucas when he wrote star Wars. 
Um, so uh-huh. yeah, really important writer and I love him. So that's, that's the answer. Number one. <laughs> All right. That sounds great. And I will definitely have to add that to the list. Mm-hmm. The next question, when will we be net zero as a society? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we, we really need to be in net zero now. That's not going to happen. Um, I don't think it's going to happen for at least 20 years, but I mean, we'll see how it goes. Like we needed to be net zero yesterday, but I think as things get worse, there's going to be more expedited efforts uh, to solve it. But until we let go of uh, oil, it's going to be hard Uh, and a number of other things, but you know, uh, we're going to have to stop commuting so much too. (laughs) So. Yep. Yeah. I understand that. And it, it is a tricky problem. And as we just said, it is that net zero number is one aspect, but I think if it's almost like actually figuring that out is going to take these other aspects of eco credits, figuring out how to locally source food, figuring out supply chain that is less carbon intensive and that will ultimately get us there. So that last question of mine is now you actually get to ask me a question. Mm, okay. Um, let's see. Uh, out of all your research um, in energy efficiency uh, and, and going going to uh, net zero, like what are like what are what's one method that you've heard about that you think is more effective than others? Like, what do you think is going to be a game changer and can actually make a difference? That is, that's a, a big question. There's a lot that, there's a lot of different aspects that are rolling through my mind right now. One of them is, is how do we produce the same amount of energy that we are currently producing through fossil fuels and my mind as a geologist always goes subsurface on that and my my first my first reaction is geothermal and and getting geothermal everywhere whether that and there's there's a lot of different geothermal technologies i think all of them are going to play a part so that's one aspect one other aspect that i think is is something that I I've not gotten into much yet, but have thought about more and more being in a in a fully remote working environment and and I guess thinking about my own carbon footprint as one employee and then knowing that our company has one of those for every one of us and thinking about this idea of a if you have a super efficient, well-managed property and a single property, that is more efficient than your individual employees and the way they personally manage their properties. So thinking about the difference between remote working and and almost like communal working and living and the same with individual computers and computing power looking at 
putting everything on the cloud where you have data centers that are super efficient and and more environmentally friendly as opposed to each of our individual computers mm. these are these are ideas that almost like as we are getting more of a a hive mind if you will and and looking at things holistically and communally i think that is that is going to drive us towards greater efficiencies and and ultimately have a stronger impact on the environment in a in a positive way mm. than if we are each trying to do individualistic what we think is best yeah for sure yeah, yeah that makes sense uh, yeah so i it's a it's kind of a punt on your question but it it's a it's a big question to think about and yeah. to, to try and answer yeah well with that thank you aaron for joining me on the show today before we sign off is there anything else that you'd like to say no um this has been a really great conversation so i appreciate your time well thank you aaron for for that and thank you again for joining me on the show today it was mm -hmm. a lot of fun and thank you everyone for joining us on this episode of the energy transition solutions podcast if you're enjoying the show share it with a friend leave a review Tell me what you're enjoying most in that review and what you'd like to hear more of. If you want to hear more news and energy-related stories, we have all sorts of energy-related podcasts on OGGN. You can find us by connecting with us on LinkedIn or visiting us at OGGN.com. One more thing, I do have a quick favor to ask. I have a one-question survey that I want you to go fill out. And when you fill that out, we can send you some stickers. Finally, if you have any questions, comments, corrections, or have a story that you would like to share, send me an email or find me on LinkedIn. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low carbon, high energy story on the Energy Transition Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.